Hello, and welcome to the MS for Mama podcast. I'm your host, Abby Halberstadt, happy wife, mama to 10, Bible-believing Christian. On today's show, we're going to talk about something that I get asked about pretty much every single week on my Q&A on Instagram that I do called What Do You Want to Know Wednesday? And that is, how do you deal with the constant fighting in your home? I get asked this question so many times from so many desperate mamas who are just yearning to have a pat answer, a quick fix, a complete solution. And I am here to tell you today that it is not that easy. When it comes to bickering, when it comes to conflict, when it comes to disagreements, when it comes to literal physical altercations between our children, it is a long haul commitment to teaching them the elements and the principles of scripture that will help them to learn how to resolve all of those things, both with their siblings and with other people that they encounter in their futures going forward. And so I like to um, start with a phrase that my wise friend, Jody Mockaby, um, you can find her on Instagram and other social media, and she is a great source of wisdom for homeschooling and motherhood and Christian womanhood in general. And I find her to be very down to earth and very realistic and not fluffy at all. Um, And so I love her straightforward phrase that goes like this, start as you mean to go on. What I mean by that and what she means by that is if you have a goal in mind, in this case, we're talking about minimizing or even eradicating, if at all possible, as much as we possibly can, um, constant fighting and bickering in our homes. If you have that as your goal, if that is something that you are striving for and really yearn to see as the rule rather than the exception in your home, she says you need to start in such a way that you can maintain going forward, that you can keep repeating the same steps over and over again so that it's sustainable. So one of the main things that you need to do to start as you mean to go on, to start out with the foot in the right direction and keep marching on forward, just like it talks about in Galatians 6, 9, to not grow weary of doing good for in the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So as we march forward, as we don't give up, we have to think to ourselves, what are my boundaries? What are my guidelines for respectful speech? What are my guidelines for kindness? What am I talking about when I'm saying no bickering or no fighting or a minimum of disagreements in a um, in an unhelpful and unproductive sense? Now, is disagreement in and of itself a bad thing? No, no. I think that there is something very healthy about working through conflict in a productive way among siblings. It teaches them all kinds of skills that they're going to need in their workplaces in the future, with their spouses in the future, with other family members in the future, with their own children in the future. And so if we were to only sail through life without ever encountering any kind of resistance, we would be the poorer for it. So siblings are a wonderful opportunity to kind of Uh, sand down our rough edges and to have opportunities to interact in a way that is maybe not always agreeable, but ends in a productive solution rather than huffing off and being angry or passive aggression or physically fighting people or violence or whatever that looks like. So 
when we are starting as we mean to go on and we are setting kind of those baseline expectations of respectful speech, I think that the important thing to do is always return to scripture and say, what does the Bible have to say about this? We know that Jesus is the very one who spoke the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Most of us do not want people to punch us in the nose, call us ugly names, scream at us, disagree with everything that we do just for the sake of being disagreeable. Like all of those things are going to be foundational elements of strife in our homes. If we are doing those things consistently or our children are doing those things consistently, then we're going to have a lot of interpersonal conflict. So instead, what the Bible says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Also, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's from Ephesians 4.29. And I'm actually going to come back to that uh, chapter a little bit later. So just know that if you're looking for a good baseline chapter to memorize with your kids and to talk about about kind of in Deuteronomy 6, we're supposed to talk about God's law as we walk, as we lie down, as we sit, as we stand with our children. In other words, as we do life with them, and that's a concept that you're going to hear me repeat over and over again, that Deuteronomy 6 is a mandate, an admonishment, an exhortation to keep on keeping on, to start as we mean to go on and then not grow weary of doing good in all the aspects, whether we're talking about nap time, errands, extracurricular activities, time in school, time in homeschooling, time at church, um, time at your part-time job for your teenagers as they start to venture out of the home into things like that, you're going to encounter so many opportunities to use unwholesome speech, to be sarcastic, to be derogatory, to be mocking, to be sardonic, to tear people down for the sake of laughs, to build yourself up for the sake of your own self-esteem. And yet, Ephesians 4.29 just told us to let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, to only say those things which build other people up and are good for instruction. So when we look at starting as we mean to go on and just using that phrase as just kind of a guidepost for how do I do this? What? Oh, well, I can't do it willy nilly. I can't just jump in and start paddling. Maybe you can, but it's better to have a plan. It's better to know what that looks like for your family going forward so that you can stay the course. And if you do veer off path, that you can bring it back together as parents, setting an example for your children. And I do want to make that point and tell you just a little story to illustrate it. If we are not setting an example of wholesome speech toward others, toward our spouse, toward our children, toward um, our neighbors, toward our friends as we speak about them, either to them or about them in front of our children, our kids aren't going to care about our telling them to be kind if we ourselves are not kind. They're not going to follow and or they will follow our example of unwholesome speech, of gossip, of, of uh, tearing down and backbiting if we set that example and they are going to be more likely to follow an example of lifting up and speaking truth and avoiding gossip if we do that ourselves. And so I'm just going to tell you a really quick little story. One night in the middle of dinner, I had 
two toddlers on my hips as I was trying to get dinner ready. And so I kept having to put one down. As soon as I put one down, he would start screeching and complaining and arching and throwing his back. It was tired. He wanted to go to bed, but we hadn't gotten dinner on the table yet. He was just tired and worn out. And I was a tired or worn out mama too. I had spent my day homeschooling and answering emails and scrubbing toilets and just doing all the regular, you know, homeschool mama, work at home mama life stuff. And I was done. And the middle kids were over there playing a game at the dining room table and they were playing pretty happily. They were getting along, but they were making a lot of noise. It wasn't bad noise. It was just happy exuberance, but it was still noise. And if you're a mama, you probably know exactly what I mean when I say that sometimes noise is just noise, whether it's good or bad, doesn't matter. You just kind of want it to stop. And so I had the babies screaming at me and the middle kids making noise and the dinner trying to bubble over on the stove. And Sean came in from um, work and he was talking to me about a meeting that he'd had. And as I listened to him, I felt this anxiety rising in my chest. And there were a lot of reasons for that that I won't go into that were even unrelated to just being tired and overstimulated and a lot on my plate in that exact moment. But there were kind of some emotionally fraught things that were coming up in my mind and my memory as he talked about this meeting that he had with someone that we hadn't seen in a long time and had had kind of a, a falling out with. So as I felt my emotions rising and I was trying to kind of control those and push those down, I felt like I couldn't really process what he was saying correctly. And I felt myself getting snippier and snapping at him and not responding well, just in little ways. And my son, Simon, was on the couch reading and I knew he could hear us. And I, I really hadn't lost my temper or blown up, but I wasn't being especially kind. Um, and I was getting more and more frustrated as I tried to juggle the babies and stir the pot and block out the noise and listen to my husband. And probably I should have just asked him to wait to tell me about this meeting until later when I could give him my full attention and not feel so anxious about the situation. But finally, he asked me a very innocuous question that wasn't even related to what he was talking about. It was completely a neutral question, should not have bothered me at all. And I responded very aggressively. And he just kind of looks taken aback. Like, where did that come from? Well, I couldn't fully articulate where it was coming from in the moment. I just knew that my anxiety was really high and my chest felt really tight. My brain felt like there were bees buzzing in it. And in that moment, when I snapped at my husband for no good reason, seemingly, I saw my son's head pop up from the couch and he whipped his head toward me and looked at me like, what was that? Why? So later on, I didn't get a chance to apologize to Sean right then, both because I just didn't immediately, I should have, but also because of all the things going on, I thought I'll talk to him later, I'll explain that I kind of got filled up to here with all of these different emotions and tensions and then I let them get the better of me and apologize. And I hadn't had a chance to do it yet. So as we were at dinner, we have salad with a lot of dinners and it's not Simon's favorite. He was the one that overheard me uh, snap at Sean and so he was complaining about salad in a way that I've never heard him complain before that was actually belligerent. I will say that while our children are perfectly capable of talking back, of being disrespectful in certain ways, of disobeying, of course they are, they're human beings. We have worked really, really hard, starting as we mean to go on, by saying that certain kinds of speech are kind of off limits in our home. They're not even options. You can express your disagreement or your desire to do something different, but you don't do it in this way. And so when he really came at me about salad, I was very taken aback, I was shocked, honestly. And it was just a brief outburst, kind of like mine with Sean had been, but something niggled in the back of my brain that said, 
is this because you did this to your husband, that your teenage son is now doing this to you? So fast forward, he and Sean had a good talk, and then he came upstairs, and I was reading a book with Theo and Honor before bed, and he kind of just sat there calmly listening, and as soon as it was done, he started to apologize to me, and he he said, I'm sorry, I don't know what made me so irritated at you that was wrong, I shouldn't have, and I just stopped him there, and I said, I want to apologize to you as well, because I set a bad example for you, and I wanted to tell you this earlier, that I had set a bad example, and to apologize to your daddy, and I just didn't get it done before dinner, and if that's why you were so upset at me, I'm sorry, because I did not do right by you or your daddy. And he beamed, his face just lit up with this huge smile, because I think it was a huge weight off of his shoulders not to have to take the full responsibility. He did apologize for his part in it and doing wrong, but to be able to say, okay, you know, this is legitimate. She recognizes that this is something that would ruffle my feathers and get my back up. So when I say that when we model what we want our children to do, there is a larger chance of their modeling that back to us. And when we don't model it, there's a pretty good chance that we are setting them up to also fail in that area. I mean that I know that from personal experience. It is really, really hard to get it right all of the time. In fact, it's impossible, but praise God for his grace and his mercies that are new every morning. And that's something else I want to emphasize to you as I talk about this. Getting this quote unquote right every time because it's impossible, but can be really defeating. It can feel like, look, my kids are bickering again. I lost my temper. I yelled at them. I'm setting a terrible example. Boo, hiss, everything's bad. Let's just all kind of throw in the towel and be fussy and angry and uh, bitter together. And that can quickly become the environment of your home. That can quickly become the tone that we set. But I want to I want to assure you that new mercies every single morning mean every single morning. You have the chance to wake up and say, I did not do well at this yesterday, but by God's grace, I can run at it again and do better and I can build new habits. I've talked about the gentleness challenge some and and, and threatened to have an entire podcast about it. And I promise that I will. And this is actually a chapter, an entire chapter in the Emma's for Mama book. And I have an entire chapter on sibling fighting and what the Bible has to say specifically about what our attitudes towards everyone should be, but including those in our own home. And so if you're wanting some more in-depth or more information, more scriptures than I'm necessarily going to quote here to you in this podcast, you're welcome to go read those in the Emma's for Mama book. But the gentleness challenge was something that I did as a way of um, curbing my own unkind speech in a very concentrated way so that I could turn around what had postpartum after my eighth baby become a very, um, very kind of tenuous fraught tone in our homes where everybody's walking on eggshells around mama because she was so irritable all the time. So when I say again that you have the opportunity to start over every single day, you have the opportunity to set new habits, you can um, in Christ's strength start to build new and better ways of communicating and setting examples for your children. I mean it. I've seen it happen in my own life. I have seen so many times when the Lord has been gracious to convict my heart of where I'm failing and where I'm falling short, and then to give me a way forward with the help of my family. So if that's you right now, I hope that you are not in despair. I hope you don't hear me saying, uh, I am better than, I have arrived, 
um, this is something that we have conquered. I don't think this is anything that any human being will completely conquer. The power over our own tongue and our own speech and our own behavior and the attitudes that we wake up with each morning toward other people are gonna be a constant struggle. But I will tell you this, it is more of a struggle at certain times than others, i.e. postpartum is gonna be much harder when our hormones are out of whack than when we feel like everything is right with our health and our hormones and everything is in balance and we feel generally at peace with the world. <laughs> Maybe not always at peace with the world, but more at peace than when we're postpartum. The same is gonna be true for our kids. When they're going through hormonal changes, when they are going through growth spurts, when they are going through difficult or confusing times emotionally, we're going to have to be able to give them grace for their interactions with us and their siblings and recognize that while right is right and wrong is wrong, sometimes the motivation behind the right or the wrong matters more than the action itself. So giving our kids the same kind of grace that the Lord is good to give us is so important and giving ourselves that grace and saying, Jesus has not condemned me. It's the same concept as when the woman is caught in adultery. And um, people always say, Jesus was so compassionate. Jesus was so merciful. He never told anyone what they should or shouldn't do. Jesus was compassionate. He was merciful. But he absolutely told people what they should and shouldn't do. And so when Jesus says to her, you know, where are those who condemn you? And she looks around and realizes that they're all gone. And he says, well, then neither do I condemn you. And then the very last thing he says is so telling. No, he does not condemn us, but he doesn't just say, I don't condemn you. Keep on doing what you're doing. Keep stumbling, keep failing, keep falling, even though it makes you feel terrible and you feel full of shame and you don't like the dynamic in your home. Instead, he says, go and sin no more. And of course, we aren't capable of going and sinning no more in our own strength, but we are in Christ's. So I really wanna encourage you, as you look at this concept of bickering in your home to look at it as a big picture thing, to look at it as a, a journey rather than a destination. I know that it's such a cliche, but it's so true that going forward, you have to be willing to be in this for the long haul and to wake up and assess where you are, your heart is with the Lord and ask him for his mercies that day and then the next and the next and the next. So we've talked about setting the standard and one of them should be no unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths. And we know that that is a standard because we find it in the Bible. Another good one is to do everything without complaining or arguing. That's found in Philippians 2, 13 and 14. And man, that is such a high standard to strive for. And yet when the Bible literally says it in command form, do everything without complaining or arguing, that is what we should shoot for. One of the main things that I like to encourage people to do is to have a no bickering and no fighting policy. Now, if you've ever been in a workplace, you know that there are policies that they have. Um, you know, don't use the microwave for this kind of container. You know, no smoking, all that. It doesn't mean that people won't disobey the policies. But when they do, there's going to be actions and reactions that happen, right? There's going to be consequences. So one of the things that I think that we need to take really seriously is once we've laid the baseline for no complaining or arguing, for no unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths, and that that's our goal rather than the assumption of what's going to happen each day. We have to be willing to follow through on the consequences and the methods of um, redirection that we've decided on with our spouses instead of, quote, letting things slide. When the rule is letting things slide, you're going to notice that the bickering in your house tends to tick up and up and up in volume and frequency. 
when the rule is this is a non-negotiable non-option. So that doesn't mean that you immediately ground your children from every activity, take away everything they've ever enjoyed doing, give them 19 spankings and send them to their rooms. I mean, that's we're not trying to go global here. We're trying to give a reasoned but consistent response to when those policies that we've set in place, the no complaining or arguing, no bickering, no unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths, treating other people like we want to be treated. When we laid those out clearly and we say, hey, well, I've talked about the penny reward system before in our home. That's not our only form of discipline. It's not our only form of consequence. It's not our only form of direction. When we are responding to something that our kids have um, done that's against what we've asked them to do. However, it is a useful way of noticing when our kids are especially kind or conversely when they are especially spiteful. And so penny reward system would be a great one to have in your pocket to say, hey, you had an opportunity to build your sister up and instead you took the opportunity to snipe at her. You're going to lose a penny. Or conversely, obviously, you had an opportunity to build your sister up and you took it. Way to go. Here's a penny. A lot of times we say the phrase, it's kind of, it's kind of cheesy, but it's the phrase, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And so if you're going to have the privilege of going out to that fun coffee house night with your friends for your homeschool co-op, which is something that we have regularly with our homeschool co-op, or the country dances coming up, that's another homeschool co-op thing that our kids get to do, or the play date that we've talked about. Your responsibility is to treat others with the kind of consideration and care that you want to be treated with. And if you demonstrate regularly that you have no interest in doing that, then that's going to bleed over into how you treat your friends at this event that you're going to. And so we're just going to, we're going to hold off on that event. We're going to take a break from that event for this round, and we're going to give you a chance to digest that consequence and going forward make better decisions in the future. I think it's really important. I've already talked about this, but I'm going to circle back around to it to have scripture undergirding everything that we do. And we see really clearly that in scripture, the Lord promises to the Israelites and his people in general, that if they obey him, if they honor his commands, if they are true to his word, that they will be blessed. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that that blessing looks like riches and honor and glory and ease in life, but it does mean that they will have the Lord's favor and that they will be um, receiving his blessing in the form of peace and in the form of productivity in the way their thoughts work, in the way they treat others, in their ability to have good relationships with other people. All of those are a form of the Lord's favor. And then on the flip side, the Lord makes it very clear that if you do not obey my commandments, if you stray from me, if you reject me, there will be cursing. And so the concept of consequences, the concept of kind of the curses of your own actions coming back on you is very biblical and it's very clear throughout the Old and the New Testament. So when we lay those um, scriptural foundations for consequences out and we say, hey, these are the standards, no unwholesome talk, treating others as you would like to be treated, no complaining or arguing, and so on and so forth. You could, you could definitely find a lot more examples of scripture to uh, be your foundation for other interpersonal communication and um, actions that you apply in your own home between the way your, ch your children treat each other or the way you treat them or the way they treat you. Um, when you lay those scriptural foundations, you are giving your kids a solid basis of truth for why 
they do what they do, for why you are requiring this of them, for why it will be a source of blessing or a source of cursing, um, and that they have a choice in that matter, and that one choice honors God and brings peace, and one choice dishonors God and brings strife. And so they get to choose which one. Like it says in Proverbs 18, life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruit. That's a little bit of a confusing verse. Those who love what? Those who love life will eat of the fruit of life. Those who love death will eat of the fruit of death. And so probably I'm not telling you anything that you haven't already figured out for yourself. You've seen the fruit of what speaking death and living for yourself and um, unwholesome talk and selfishness and um, complaining and arguing looks like. We all have. We've all witnessed that in our own lives and we've witnessed it in our parents. We've witnessed it in relationships with other people and we've witnessed it in our children. And so we want to instead flip the narrative and say, what instead does speaking life, um, acting in a way that brings life to people look like in our homes? So laying that scriptural foundation, starting as you mean to go on, staying the course, setting a good example, modeling for our children so that they know what to expect and that we are taking it seriously ourselves. Rewinding back to when I was talking about the gentleness challenge, I told my kids that I was doing that uh, for 30 days that I was requiring myself in the Lord's strength as much as it was possible to only use gentle and kind and uplifting unwholesome speech. And I invited them to do it with me and we did. So I think that accountability can be another really helpful tool towards success in eradicating or at the very least minimizing bickering and strife and anger and hurt emotions and outright fighting in our homes. Will we ever get rid of them completely on this side of glory? No, but we can hope for peace in our home because the Bible has given us that hope. And it tells us that hope is an anchor for the soul and that we will not have that hope disappointed when that anchor is Jesus. Another thing I wanted to talk about is the concept of forgiveness. Um, the Bible makes it really clear in the Lord's Prayer in so many other verses that if we want to be forgiven, that we must ourselves forgive. So we've talked about the fact that there will inevitably be some conflict in our homes, that that is in fact um, a healthy thing, that it's normal, that if we didn't have it, we wouldn't really understand the depths of the Lord's love for us. If we never had anything go wrong in our lives, if we never had anyone disagree with us, we wouldn't understand how much we need Jesus. But it's so important to emphasize for our kids that they are uh, compelled by their love for the Lord and by Jesus' example for them to forgive others. Now, I have definitely heard from people who think that it is a disingenuous thing to require kids to ask for and give forgiveness after a conflict. However, the way that I tend to look at it is this. Even if the emotions are not there yet, we are practicing for those emotions. We are not believing that those emotions are the sum total of who we are. We are not accepting that because we feel anger now, we have to have that define the relationship with the person with whom we are in conflict in the future. So forgiveness, whether you feel it or not, is an act of obedience to what the Bible has asked us to do. In that same chapter in Ephesians 4, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ 
God forgave you. I'm telling you, this is such a good chapter to focus on if you would like to know what the Bible has to say about how we're supposed to treat others and how we're supposed to respond to them. It's the same chapter that talks about not letting the sun go down on our anger so that Satan doesn't get a foothold. And it is the chapter that when my kids and I were doing the gentleness challenge together, we memorized as a complete whole. And it was such a help to us as we were, um, as we were shooting for that goal of 30 days of only kind speech. And of course we were shooting for a goal far beyond that, but at that specific kind of intense focus on always uplifting, always using kind speech, Ephesians 4 was a really big help. So we forgive because Christ first forgave us. That is just, that's the example. That's the, that's the standard. And though we will never reach it every time, we are still striving for it in Christ's strength. As long as we live, as, as we chase after Christ's example, we notice that our habits become holier. We notice that our thoughts become less moody and clouded with kind of self-pity. We notice that our actions start to follow a better pattern. And so those things are all really encouraging. And we can um, rejoice in the fact that there are practical benefits of adhering to scripture, of praying for our kids. And that's not something that I've specifically mentioned, but is kind of implicit in all of this. We can't do any of this striving for righteousness without Christ's strength. And one of the main ways that we can tap into that strength is by being in communication with our Lord and Savior on a daily basis. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. When you're doing the laundry, you can be asking him for help with your spitfire of a three-year-old and the fact that he is always picking fights with his five-year-old brother and asking him for creative ways to, um, to kind of ameliorate that tension, to uh, create fun ways and distracting ways to, um, to bring them together. So prayer is not just a Hail Mary. Prayer sometimes is the way that the Lord gives us either people in our lives or verses or practical ideas from the internet, whatever it is, to actually help us in a meaningful way going forward in tamping down those high spirits. And I say high spirits, but you know, that's just a euphemism for angry feelings that we so often encounter when we have a house full of kids that are not necessarily all on the same wavelength emotionally or in what they want to do or in how they want to do it. So I said inspiration from the internet and I'm going to give you a really fun example because I do think that one of the ways of bringing some lightness and some levity to this whole process of helping our kids to get along better is through fun things. I think one of the biggest ways that we can encourage our kids getting along and being kind to each other is by helping them to like each other better. And I don't think that we can really form those bonds of togetherness unless we are committed to creating situations in which they can spend a significant amount of time together doing something enjoyable or productive. Um, the example from the internet that I was going to tell you was just a fun little tidbit. My friend Allison from Her Heart Homeschool on Instagram um, talks about how she likes to have her kids hug once they've had conflict until they start laughing. And you know, especially with small children, that that's going to take maybe, you know, three or four seconds. They start tickling each other or, you know, squeezing and kind of weaving around and, and stumbling all over the place. And before you know it, they think it's the funniest thing and you have achieved lightheartedness. So that's just, I wanted to throw that in there because I'd mentioned um, inspiration from the internet. But 
The time issue for me is that if children are constantly going in separate directions, if they are never spending time seeing their uh, siblings as a source of friendship instead of just conflict, instead of just room sharing, instead of just she got the last cookie, instead of I didn't want to do that chore, I want him to do it instead. If we don't carve out situations in which they can really discover that they actually like each other, then they aren't necessarily going to do it on their own. They may get there on their own. I will tell you from a personal perspective that my brother and I fought a ton when we were younger. We were homeschooled, we were four years apart, and he was just as edgy as possibly could be. People don't know that word, that's a word that my mom uses, but edgy is the word that she uses to talk about someone that just likes to poke at people. They like to find the spot that's the most annoying and just keep messing with it until the person loses it. Well, it didn't take much to make me lose it. I was feisty when I was younger, and so he would call me names, he would call me goober, which I thought was just, oh man, annoying as all get out. And I would lose my temper over being called goober. He would, you know, pull my hair. He would stick his finger right in that. I mean, literally, you know, we talk about figuratively poking at the spots where someone is vulnerable, but he would literally find the spot on my ribs that I, that I didn't like having touched and do that. He would tickle me when I didn't like it. We got into physical knockdown, drag out altercations, y'all. And yet he and I are best friends now. And I think one of the biggest reasons that that eventually came to be was because of being homeschooled and because of being around each other and because my mom gave us a lot of opportunities to find ways in which to interact that weren't all conflict, we did start to find the common ground eventually. Now, I remember being about 10 and he was 14 before we were the best of buds, but I know that we were gradually working towards that as we were growing up. And so I really encourage parents not to throw in the towel when they see their two and their five-year-olds not getting along. Not to uh, just throw their hands in the air and give up when they see their four and their six-year-olds who aren't there yet. That time is not just about time during the day or time during the week. We're talking about years of togetherness in which your kids are feeling out ways of finding, like I said, common ground, finding common interests, finding shared joy in things. Some of the very practical ways we do this are read-alouds together as a family. One of the cool things about read-alouds is they create a shared family culture so that you have the same jokes about the same books. You remember the same parts with nostalgia. You have the same um, kind of anticipation of, hey, what's gonna happen in the next chapter? And that's a point of conversation for a lot of different ages. If you're reading a read-aloud that can span quite a few grades. And we typically try to try to do that where we have younger kids in there. They may not catch everything, but the older kids are able to explain things to them. Um, same concept. I know that a lot of people are very down on watching uh, television, but I do feel like that there's a shared family culture that can come from watching certain really wholesome, fun family shows that you really look forward to and enjoy watching together. So as far as media goes, I think that those are two ways of forming bonds that can be helpful right now, but also in the future going forward. Like I said, our family has certain um, in-jokes about movies that we've watched and books that we've read that we love to quote to each other. And uh, it really develops camaraderie. It develops uh, kinship. And I think that those are important. You could do that with uh, all kinds of other things. So our kids love to play outside together. They love to do board games together. Um, they love to dance together, actually. they I have certain ones that love to sing together. And just while well, I'm just kind of 
spitballing ideas or concepts that are that are good to take into to account. Not every personality is going to interact with another personality the same way. That is such an obvious thing to say, but I think it's important to remember that when I say my kids love to sing together, we don't have 10 singing kids. We have like four kids that love to sing together and maybe a fifth that seems like he has a possibility. Every single one of your kids doesn't have to interact with every single one of your other kids in the same way or with the same level of connection. And that's okay. The goal is to find a variety of connections, to find something that works well for large groups, and then to really foster those areas where you see certain kids making a connection um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis or a two-on-one basis. Be creative, be willing to be flexible in the whole concept of offering this time. Um, one thing that we do together as a family that all of our kids love is Bible trivia. We actually have this little buzzer system that my husband, Sean, bought. And the kids get buzzers and they can buzz in to answer questions. And we create our own Bible trivia questions from the daily Bible reading that we do at breakfast each morning. And Sean writes the questions down from the Bible reading on note cards and then asks the kids. And he has, you know, kind of the questions for the younger kids and the questions for the older kids. And it's something that they all look forward to, all enjoy competing in all enjoy kind of just friendly bantering and competition and yeah it gets heated sometimes and sometimes some people lose their tempers that's going to happen in pretty much any situation but it's still a great way of fostering that connection so just while I'm just throwing out ideas there you don't have to do buzzers and bible trivia but if there's something that's specific to your family culture that you have found that works to build connection do that Focus on that rather than trying to adopt, you know, a, something that maybe doesn't seem to be working for you that works well for someone else. As I have looked around at the families that I really admire and the efforts that they are making to have children who are considerate and kind of each other and others, I have noticed that they do things very differently than we do, but that they are consistent in modeling for their children a love for the Lord and a love for others that they are consistent with setting standards that are in line with scripture, that they are consistent with making it clear that they take this seriously and that they will follow through each time with a consequence or a reminder or a distraction or an intervention to make sure that their kids don't just get left to themselves in the area of conflict. They are very focused on wholesome talk coming out of their mouths. They are very focused on looking for ways to uplift and um, be thankful instead of complaining and arguing. And they are teaching their kids and modeling for their kids the importance of forgiveness. All of these things are great ways of ensuring that you will have less conflict. I did not say zero conflict and that you will have more and more opportunities to take advantage of God's new mercies every single morning that he offers to us and to our children. I mentioned the concept of shared media being a source of building camaraderie, but I really feel like I need to make the point that there is a whole lot of media to be avoided, whatever medium it is, whether it's TV or books or shows or anything else, um, that there is a tendency in our society, especially in modern literature, to portray siblings as, quote, the worst, to see them as a source of competition, to see them as a source of joy stealing rather than a source of giving joy, to see them as kind of a waste of space and air, and to see peers as 
highly superior to siblings. And we don't find any basis for any of that in scripture, quite the opposite. And so I think it's really important to pay attention to the kind of books and movies and shows and the kinds of, of even YouTube or social media that kids might be consuming. Our kids actually don't do social media even as teenagers, but if you've got kids that are on social media, then just know that they're gonna be encountering a whole lot of snarkiness, a whole lot of bullying, a whole lot of unkind speech, really unwholesome talk coming out of a lot of mouths, that it's gonna be hard for them to push that example away if that's what's filling their minds on a daily basis. So just know that while media can be a really powerful source of fostering togetherness, it can also be a source of fracturing and dividing and tearing down. So be careful with what you watch and read. I hope this is an encouragement to you today to go out there and see your kids not as simply bickering, fighting little Tasmanian devils that roll around and try to take your sanity, but as an opportunity to pour God's love and God's truth into them. But with the understanding that as we faithfully plant, we can look forward to a harvest of righteousness in ourselves and even in our children. Now get out there and go do something fun with your kids. Even if they fight through half of it, at least you will have taken a step towards giving them an opportunity to practice being kind. If you guys enjoyed today's program, I would be so honored if you would subscribe and share with others. And if you're looking for more daily content on motherhood and biblical responses to cultural issues, you can follow along on Instagram at m.is.4.com.